Hey, South Bend City Church Digital fam, welcome to today's episode of the podcast. Wherever you're listening from or however long you've called South Bend City Church home, we want to know that we are honored to have you as a part of our community. And yes, if this is your first time listening, you are also considered part of our community today. Wanted to keep a couple things in front of you. First of all, if you do call South Bend City Church home, even if you don't live in South Bend, as we remind you in the show notes every week, if you want to give financially to South Bend City Church or to the Tribune Project, you can do that at southbendcitychurch.com backslash give. There you can designate whether or not goes it goes to our general fund, which is operational costs and all the things that make church run, or you can give directly to the Tribune Project as well. The second thing I wanted to keep in front of you is in November, we have an Israel-Palestine peacemaking pilgrimage through Telos Group. If that's something that you're interested in, now is the time to let us know. You can go to our website, scroll down to the bottom, click on what's happening, and from there, you can just let us know that you're interested in going to Israel-Palestine with us in November. You're not signing on the dotted line. It's just for us to know how many people are interested in going. All right, today we're jumping into week three of our Everyone an Icon series. Today we get to hear from Dr. Angela Logan. Dr. Logan is an associate teaching professor and the St. Andre Bassett Academic Director of the Master of Nonprofit Administration in the Mendoza College of Business at the University of Notre Dame. Whew, I think I got it all. She is one of the coolest, smartest, most joyful. She's one of the biggest cheerleaders of South Bend City Church and of the people in it. And so excited for you to hear what she has to say today. Today we explore what it looks like to apply the everyone an icon mantra to ourselves. All right, I'm not going to steal her thunder. Let's jump in with Dr. Logan for week three of our series. Okay, 11 o'clock. I was getting a little nervous because normally, fun fact, I bet you didn't know this, the the nine tends to be the more enthusiastic, but I said not my 11 o'clock's. You have had your second cup of coffee, and you are on it, and your three-part harmony sounded much better. Good morning, Eleven. There you go. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Angela, and I am honored that you chose to be with us this morning. You could have been anywhere in the world, but I am glad that you are here today. One disclaimer for those of you who may have forgotten, just got to say, I do love being on the rug. I have missed it tremendously. For those of you who don't know, I am a proud product of the black church tradition. I'm an unashamedly, unabashedly black church girl, which means you have not only the permission, but the freedom to talk back to me this morning. Is that all right? There you go. Fun fact about me that most people don't know, I love cartoons. Chances are, if you come by my house, I'm going to be watching one of three things. Some form of sports ball, I love all sports. Some some part of the Law & Order franchise, I tell my students all the time, I earned my law degree from Law & Order SV University. Jack McCoy trained me well, and cartoons. For the kiddos in the room, you may not realize this, but cartoons are actually designed for the adults that are taking you to the cartoon because there are themes in there that go over the heads of kids but land flatly with us adults. My latest obsession, Encanto. 
For those of you who are unfamiliar with Encanto, it is the story of the family Madrigal. Every member of the family has a unique gift, talent, and ability. One member of the family can control the weather just by her mood. Another family member has super strength. For those of you who've heard the soundtrack, surface pressure is my jam. At the beginning of the movie, we see a third character who gets his gift that day at the start of the movie. He has the ability to talk to animals and for the animals to talk back to, them, to him. And then there's Bruno. I know we're not supposed to talk about Bruno, but today we're gonna talk about Bruno. For those of you who don't know the story, Bruno is not unlike the Old Testament character Joseph in that Bruno had the gift of prophecy. And if you remember your Old Testament, you can guess that Bruno's gift went over with his family just about as well as Joseph's gift went with his family. Bruno told, one, he told, Bruno told the family member who could control the weather that it would rain on her wedding day. And guess what? Her emotions were all mixed up and it rained on her wedding day. Bruno told another that the love of her life would be promised to someone else. And as we watched the movie unfold, sure enough, the love of her life had been promised to someone else. The movie goes on to share all the times that Bruno's family did not like what he had prophesied to the point that Bruno stopped seeing his gift as a gift and saw it as a curse. Bruno was so distraught, no longer seeing himself as an icon, that he moved inside the walls of the household with only the rats as family. But in pure Disney magic, eventually they all discovered that Bruno's gift was a gift instead of a curse, and they all lived happily ever after. <clears throat> this month, we've been focusing on our mantra in the upper right-hand corner, everyone an icon. The first words in the Bible spoken about humanity is that we are bearers of the image of God. And it's a starting point for every person that we meet. Shout out to Ryan and David Kramer, who for the past couple of weeks have shared with us how can we love our neighbors? How can we love our enemies? But in true black church tradition, today I'm gonna talk about what happens when the enemy is in a me. What happens when we can't see ourselves as an icon? Can I let you all in on a little secret? When I was asked to teach in this sermon series, I got both a sense of excitement and a wee bit of upset stomach. You see, I have a love-hate relationship with this mantra. I have no problem seeing you as an icon. 
If you know me, you know I will cheer wildly for you in any endeavor that you undertake. I cheer for your kiddos. I am here for you. I will celebrate you. And here's where, but here's where the hate comes in. I made the foolish mistake of adding a tiny little phrase to the end of everyone an icon. Even the face that greets you every morning in the mirror. And that's where the hate part comes in for me. Because you see, I don't always see myself as an icon. I know me. I don't like me some days. I'm moody, I'm cranky, I'm snarky, I say unkind things about people in my head most of the time. <laughs> I don't like a lot of people, contrary to popular belief, and I have a wicked bad case of imposter syndrome. There's no way I can be an icon because I see me every morning and I sometimes don't like what I see. A lot of you are nodding your heads because you too often struggle with seeing yourself as an icon. We often think about the things that pop up in our lives. There are challenges, there are obstacles, there are destructive patterns, and yes, there's even self-sabotage that prevent us from seeing ourselves as icons. Theologian Dr. Irie Lynn Sessions put it this way, the authentic self is who we are on the inside before rejection made us believe God hated us. And that is why this, I, this mantra is such a struggle for me because I know fundamentally that God loves me that I'm an icon, I'm an, I'm an image bearer, but I often don't feel it. Despite what I may think, despite how you may feel, the declaration over your life and my life, the one that God made over God's creation in Genesis 1:27, still rings true. We are very good. Not just good, but very good. Now, still many of us are struggling with the tension of wanting to believe that we are icons and actually believing that we are so. For many of us, it may show up differently depending on our mood, the day of the week, whether it's a strawberry moon, whether I'm hangry, whatever it may be. Not unlike the fictional character Bruno, the Apostle Peter is an example in Scripture of someone trying to wrestle with this tension of seeing himself as an icon. When we turn to Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13, now when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the human one is? Who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said, and what about you? 
who do you say I am? Simon Peter, full disclosure, Peter is my dude. Because Peter will just say stuff and do stuff. Peter has a fiery personality. He'll, he'll act first and then think about it later. But I digress. Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter and I'll build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. So here we see Peter, he has been declared by, God, by Jesus that he is the rock upon which Christ will build his church. Peter is that man. And then we fast forward just 10 short chapters. Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. He's been arrested. And Peter is standing off in a distance, just close enough to see, but hopefully hoping not to be able to be seen. As we go through the scripture in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 69, Peter is asked, hey, aren't you with him? I don't know the man, sorry to that man. Someone else comes up again and says, no, 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 I saw you with him. I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. And then a third time, he's asked once again, yes, you were with him because you even sound like him. And Peter denied him a third time. When we pick up the story in verse 75, at that very moment, the rooster crowed. Peter remembered Jesus' words. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and cried uncontrollably. Think about it. A few chapters earlier, Jesus had declared that his church would be built upon Peter. And ten short chapters later, Peter is with Jesus, not knowing anything or anybody. I've never been here. I don't know anyone. I don't know what you're talking about. From Peter's story, we can see three examples of why he might have been unable to see himself as an icon. First, basic fear. Peter was a person of those times. He knew what would happen when you would be rest arrested by the Romans, or at least he thought he knew. He had a vision of reality in his head that was far worse in his mind than what reality could have been. He didn't want that same fate that he thought could happen to Jesus to happen to him. 
His fear may or may not have been based in reality, but it was still holding up him back. For the rest of us, fear may show up in a variety of different reasons. I don't want to speak for you, but for me, fear shows up with a nagging case of the imposter syndrome. Here's a picture of my family. These are both sets of my grandparents. On the left, we have Daniel and Loretha Williams. On the right, Joshua and Ruth Logan. Between these two couples, 24 children were born. Only one set of twins. I say on a good day, I can name all my aunts and uncles, and on a really good day, I can put them in birth order. I very rarely have a good day. I get lost around kids seven through nine on both sides of the family. My maternal grandparents were dirt farmers and domestics. My grandfather literally farmed dirt. My paternal grandparents were steel workers and domestics. Both of my grandfathers were once, one generation removed from slavery. I know what people think about someone who comes from that bloodline, what their destiny, what their future will look like. She's not going to amount to anything. There's no way she can do it. She can't show up. She can't be successful. And then, surprise, surprise, underestimate me. That'll be fun. I show up as a professor at the University of Notre Dame. But I have that bloodline, run, the, the, their blood running through my veins. What if I fail? What if I disappoint them? What if all their dreams and hopes and visions for me don't come to pass? What if I'm not my ancestors' wildest dreams, but my ancestors' greatest disappointments? Or, God forbid, what if I succeed? What if I actually show up and keep showing up and jam at what I do? I can't succeed. I don't know how to do this because I don't have those patterns. So for me, the imposter syndrome will cause fear to rise up, to be louder than the voices of my parents and my grandparents, who are often cheering wildly for me, encouraging me that I can do it even though sometimes I feel like I can't. A second thing that may have held Peter back was guilt and shame. Think about it. Peter had walked with Jesus every day. He'd seen him perform miracle after miracle, turning water into wine, raising Lazarus from the dead, feeding the 5,000. Peter even walked on water because Jesus said he could. He knew who Jesus was. There wasn't a doubt in his mind that Peter was indeed the Messiah. And just like that, Peter forgot it all. Forgot who Jesus was, forgot who he was, forgot everything. And was, the guilt was overwhelming. As theologian Michael Joseph Brown said, Peter uses deception to keep himself independent of association with Jesus. Lying to others about his relationship to Jesus would not necessarily be considered wrong. 
The problem is that Jesus said Peter would behave the way that he did, but Peter insisted he would not. It is the fact that he did not fulfill his word of honor in the presence of others that is shameful. The night that Jesus was betrayed, we know that Judas also did something shameful. Judas ran off and died by suicide. Peter, on the other hand, was so overwhelmed with guilt that he wept and could never see himself as an icon again. He could hear Jesus saying, upon this rock, I will build this church. And he probably looked at himself and thought, there's no way I could be in the rock now. For many of us, we, are, we too can be plagued with past mistakes, bad decisions, or even inaction. Making a bad decision does not, my friends, make you a bad person. Show of hands. How many of us have ever woken up late? And then you get in your car to go to work, and every single light that you need to be green is red. And then you get to the office, and you forgot that there was a major meeting on your calendar, and you get there, and you're flustered and discombobulated, you go to make coffee, you spill coffee on yourself, you then um, have an interaction with a coworker where they go low and you go lower, and then you get home and you and your significant other have the same disagreement about which way the toilet paper is supposed to go and how you squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube. You make dinner, you burn the dinner, and then you clean the kitchen, everything is pristine, and those sweet, darling offspring of yours whom you love as Christ loved the church, have decided just as the moment that your kitchen is spotless, that they have a hankering for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You go back, there's peanut butter on the ceiling, there's jelly on the floor. You don't know how it happened. You're tripping over shoes, you're stepping over Legos with no socks on. And then you get in bed and you replay the game film for the day, and you think about all the unkind words and deeds, both spoken and unspoken, and you say, I am such a bad person. This was such a bad day. Now really, was it a bad day? Or did you have a bad 15 minutes that you let spiral into a bad day? Y'all can catch that in the parking lot on the way home. <clears throat> Making a bad decision does not make you a bad person. Having a bad 15 minutes does not make for a bad day. Fear, guilt and shame, and the third thing that held Peter back from seeing himself as an icon, the voices of the crowd. Every time Peter was walking through, hey, don't you know him? I don't know him. Don't, have you seen him? Never met him. He kept hearing those voices, and they were calling him out and not calling him in. For the rest of us, outside voices may show up 
in something as innocuously simple as the standards of beauty. How we see, each other, see ourselves in the mirror every day. I, for those of you who don't know, I am a lover of social media, and I will send friends GIFs or GIFs, depending on your perspective, reels and other memes. And one meme I saw a couple of weeks ago was about a mom who had created a little song to reclaim her hot mom summer. She's wearing shorts, she's doing all the things, she's excited about her life. It sent me into a giggle fit, I sent it to a friend, and she said, I started weeping. Because I started thinking about who I see myself as. My imperfections, my wrinkles, my blemishes, my thighs, all of the things. Shortly after having that conversation with that friend, I saw this quote from F. Scott Fitzgerald. She was beautiful, but not like those girls in magazines. She was beautiful for the way she thought. She was beautiful for the sparkle in her eyes when she talked about something she loved. She was beautiful for her ability to make other people smile, even when she was sad. No, she wasn't beautiful for something as temporary as her looks. She was beautiful deep to her soul. She is beautiful. So the next time you're judging yourself against something as temporary as your looks, remember, friend, you are beautiful. Fear, guilt, and shame, the voices from the outside. Things that hurt Peter and can hinder us from seeing ourselves as an icon. People will sometimes call us out about things that aren't true or say things that they have no business making an opinion about. I, for one, am a phenomenal singer in my shower and in the car. But guess what? For what I do in my daily life, I don't have to be a singer. It doesn't matter that when the good Lord was giving out various skills, talents, gifts, and abilities, singing solo was not one that I got because I don't need it to do what I know how to do. It's okay if you're not perfect at everything, just be perfect at the thing that you were made to do. Fear, guilt, shame, and outside voices can hinder us but what do we do with the tension between what God says about us and how we often feel? How do we overcome our own humanness and see our own iconness? If we turn back to Peter's story, we can see how Jesus spoke directly to Peter and is speaking directly to us to help Peter work through the tension about what he thought and what we know to be true. Turning to John 21, beginning at verse 7, then this is after Jesus has risen from the dead. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, 
it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he wrapped his coat around himself for he was naked and then jumped into the water. The, the other disciples followed in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they weren't far from shore, only about a hundred yards. Peter, the boat was not that far. You could have waited for them. But no, we're just going to go ahead, and this is why Peter is my dude. When they landed, they saw a fire there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. Simon Peter got up and pulled the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them to be exact. Yet the net hadn't torn even with so many fish. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples could bring themselves to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus asked, Simon, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was a little sad, and I suspect getting a little bit of an attitude, that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. In community, others are able to see in us what we cannot see in ourselves. A community will pull us forward, grabbing us by our shoulders and speaking truth to us. How do we allow other people to call out the icon in us until we are able to see and embrace that icon ourselves? Three practical tips from Peter, and then I'm done. The first, forgiveness. Forgive ourselves, forgive others, and allow God's forgiveness to wrap us up. Making a bad decision does not make you a bad person. Jesus asked Peter three times, did he love him? If you'll remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. Theologians suspect that the reason why Peter was asked three times was Jesus, by Jesus 
was not because Jesus needed to hear it, but because Peter needed to say it. Peter needed to know that he was loved and forgiven in spite of himself, not because of himself. Second practical trip tip, trust. When God speaks the truth about you and over you, embrace it and believe it. And the third, if you've been around me long enough to know, this is my one note that I do play and play well, self-care. We cannot, you'll notice that when Jesus encountered the apostles, this is what I love, Jesus didn't give them a sermon, Jesus made them breakfast. This is why Jesus and I ride together. Because I will not necessarily give you a sermon first, but I will make you a meal. Seeing yourself as an icon cannot happen when you are physically, mentally, and emotionally drained. Thursday, I had what could best be described as an excruciatingly painful travel day. It was an 18-hour travel day from the time I started to the time it finished, and I didn't go west of the Mississippi. There was a certain point in the day where I was relatively confident that Matt was going to drive to Philly to pick me up, to guarantee that Ryan would not be standing before you teaching today. By the time I had retrieved my luggage on Friday, note I said my travel day was Thursday. By the time I had retrieved my luggage on Friday, I not only did not see myself as an icon, I didn't see you as an icon, and I most assuredly did not see the customer service agent at American Airlines as an icon. There were words that were both spoken and unspoken that were reflective that I thought nobody was an icon, particularly because I knew I had laundry to do. I had emails to catch up on. I had to return texts from people asking me, how was the trip? And I had to put the finishing touches on this sermon. But I was done. I was done done. And I thought to myself, I will do no one any good if I keep going. So I did as my late mother taught me. I slept until times got better and then rolled over and got another 20 minutes. At that point, I saw myself as an icon, I saw my friends as an icon, and dare I say, I even saw the customer service people at American as icons. As the theologian Trisha Hersey, often known as the Nap Bishop, likes to say, exhaustion will not create liberation. You are exhausted physically and spiritually because the pace created by the system is for machines and not a magical and divine human being. You are enough. You are an icon. Rest, my friends, rest.
forgiveness, trust, self-care. When we feel as though we can't see ourselves as icons, when we see the enemy is in a me, forgive ourselves, trust, and take a nap and eat a Snickers bar because you're probably hangry. As you are able, please stand so that I may speak a blessing over you as our benediction. May you remember that the face that greets you every morning in the mirror is, an, is the face of an icon created for a purpose and loved by a loving creator. May the love of God watch over you. May the peace of Christ fill your hearts. May the presence of the Holy Spirit fill your sleep and speak in your dreams. May you always feel seen, safe, and known by a loving God and this community. And may your families be well. I ask this in the name of the one whom the ancients called wonderful. And may grace and peace be with you. And also with you. Love you, friends. See you next week.